Welcome to Beyond the Bridge with psychic medium and animal communicator, Samantha Jones. We are glad you are here and hope you enjoy the next hour where Samantha and her guest will help connect you to the magic of the universe, as well as to your loved ones and pets, both here and beyond the bridge. And now, Samantha Jones. Hello, friends, and welcome to this week's episode of Beyond the Bridge. I am your host, Samantha Jones, and I am so glad that you are all here today. Last week, our topic was There is No Planet B. And before we get into this week's topic, I just wanted to take a second to talk about that. I got a lot of really good messages from this episode, and I'm so thankful because you know, this is a topic that might seem boring to some people or maybe even like, you know, just not worth listening to. But I'm very glad that a lot of you enjoyed it and got some good tips from it. And one of the things that one listener requested was that I make a list of the products like earth friendly products. So I'm going to be doing that. And as soon as I do, I will share that with you guys. Last week, we had also the Maui fire. And this happened shortly after, well, the episode happened shortly after that. And so we didn't have a lot of information on it yet. So I didn't really talk about it, but I wanted to point out that what happened in Maui last week is one of the things that is happening because of global warming. Maui was under a severe drought in Hawaii. They're under a severe drought and there was a hurricane and those winds caused this fire. I mean, this was just something that they had never seen before. And it's because of global warming. So, when you look at what's going on around the world right now, because it's not just Maui, there's floods, fires, mudslides, there's all kinds of things going around the world. I know there's a lot of people that look at this as religious and biblical, but that's not what's going on here. This is global warming, and this is why we need to work on making changes. Each one of us can make changes to try and reverse this as much as we can. So if you haven't listened to that episode yet from last week, maybe go back and have a listen. It'll give some good tips on things that you can do. That was the point of that episode. I wasn't like trying to shove global warming down your throat. I just wanted to help people to know some things that they could do to make a difference. And like I said, I'll also get that list to you when it's ready. This week, we are talking about something I'm very excited to talk about because I'm always excited to talk about animals. And that is the truth about cats and dogs and other animals, too. So this episode is going to be kind of a myth-busting show. We're going to talk about some of the most common misconceptions about animals, from why a dog's nose is warm sometimes, to if a cat lands on its feet all the time, things like that. The most common misconceptions. Um. The topic, the actual like name for this show, I got from a movie and I wanted to mention this because I think that this is a really cute movie, but there is a movie called The Truth About Cats and Dogs. And ironically, the um, main character in this show is a radio host that does a show about pets. And so if you haven't seen this movie, I would watch it. It's with Janine Garofalo and Uma Thurman. It's a really cute movie from a long time ago, but I just wanted to point that out because that's where I got the name of the episode from. So first of all, let's talk about some of the most common misconceptions that we hear about animals. And the one that I had just said to you guys and I had used in the promo was that a dog's nose being dry and warm means that they are sick. And actually, contrary to popular belief, a dry nose in dog does not always indicate that the dog doesn't feel good or is sick. It can be influenced by a lot of different things, such as temperature, humidity, activity levels, 
the dog gets the wetness in the nose mostly because they lick their nose. If you just pay attention, your dog is always licking its nose throughout the day. So one of the times that you might see that your dog has a warm nose is let's say that they sleep outside and it's hot. And when they wake up, they haven't licked their nose for a couple of hours and it's warm outside. So their nose might be a little warm and dry. One thing that you might see, though, in dogs that have the dry nose, if it's more than just a regular dry nose, can be caused by allergies. I've seen a lot of dogs that get sores or their nose is crusty. That is definitely something that I would have checked out. Like a dog should not have a dry nose all the time. But to have a dry nose every once in a while, like don't don't jump to conclusions, you know, oh, my dog has a fever. If you want to know if your dog has a fever, you can actually take use a human thermometer like the ones that they're making now, you know, that you just hold up to the head. Dogs have a little bit higher of a temperature than humans do. So it'll show red most likely. But I believe it's anything under 1027 or 103 is normal. So um, that is definitely a good way to to check that. I would double check my temperature because it's been a long time. But that is definitely one way I would not I would never go by the nose by if the nose is warm that they, that means they have a fever. You can also tell like by the inside of the ears if those are really hot and they've been like inside where they shouldn't be hot, then that might tell you that they have a fever. But definitely don't rely on the nose itself to tell you the health of the dog because it's not going to give you even a good baseline. Something that we hear all the time is that. Pets age, for each one of our human years, pets age seven years. And this isn't necessarily a myth. It's just one of those one size does not fit all type of things. So when you have, like, I have Great Danes in a lab, okay? And some of you might have Chihuahuas or Yorkies. Chances are our dogs are not going to live the same lifespan. Your little Chihuahua and and Yorkies and, you know, Bichons and the littler dogs, they're going to live the longest. And the larger the dog, the shorter the lifespan. So Great Danes are supposed to have like one of the the shortest lifespans of dogs, which really sucks because they're such wonderful dogs. But you might have like a Chihuahua that lives to be 20 years old or close to it. I've seen it happen but I've never ever seen a Great Dane that old. I have seen a few labs that get that age, but it just really depends on the size of the dog itself. Cats are very, I, I wouldn't say that they're, they're not very different, but because their size is not really an issue here, I think that we can just expect that the average life of a cat is somewhere around 15 years. That's That's high, that's elderly, but I have seen them to live 20 or more years, but I would say anything under 10 is dying young for a cat. But for dogs, it definitely goes by the size of the animal. So, gosh, I don't even know if you would say that, you know, they say seven years per every one of our, our human years. So let's see, if you do 10 years for a Great Dane that might live to seven or eight years old, then that's, you know, 70 or 80 years old in human years, which does make sense. So we just kind of got to calculate it a little bit there um, as far as the size of the dog goes. Something else, I get asked this a lot, and I get people that come to me that are worried about their dogs in particular for this, is that dogs only eat grass when they're sick. And this isn't the case at all. I have three dogs that love to eat grass. They chew on the grass at various times of the day. Uh, they will absolutely go for it if their stomach is upset. Absolutely. But that's not the only reason. Sometimes it's just boredom. Sometimes it's just because, you know, it tastes good or whatever. But yes, sometimes it will be because they have an upset stomach. 
sometimes my great Dane, um, the bigger one, I will notice that his stomach is like making all kinds of noises. And there's, there comes a point where he knows that he needs grass. So even if it's like at night and we've shut the door for the night, I will take him back out so that he can eat the grass and it really does settle his stomach. So don't look at it as like a concern that, you know, your dog is eating the grass because it's not really anything to be concerned of. It's just something that they do. It's like a natural antacid in one respect. And like I said, the other, the other things as well, but I wouldn't really be concerned about the grass eating because I've seen it in pretty much every dog I've ever had. And it really doesn't indicate um, an illness of any kind. Cats love to eat grass. You can actually buy cat grass at PetSmart, Petco and those other places. So that's not even an issue with the cats. One of the ones that makes me the most crazy when I actually see it for myself is that fish only grow to the size of the tank that they're in. This is a huge misconception. Fish will grow to the size that they're supposed to. It has nothing to do with the tank that they are in. They are genetically programmed to grow to a certain size based on their species, not on the size of the environment. So keeping fish in tanks that are too small for their needs can lead to a whole bunch of problems for that fish, like stunted growth, stress, health problems. So providing a proper tank um, and everything in the tank being what is needed for that fish is very important. So growing up, I mean, you still see this sometimes, but like I'm a, I'm Gen Xer, so I grew up in the 80s and 90s. And, you know, you go to carnivals and, and all places and they'd have the, the fish in little bowls and you throw a ping pong ball and you take your fish home and you don't have a bowl for it. You don't have no food for it. You don't got anything for it. <laughs> they just give you this this fish in a bag and you're supposed to do whatever you're supposed to do with it, right? Well, fish are not just supposed to be put in bowls and, and left to their own devices. Now, uh, goldfish are a little bit different when it comes to the temperature that's required for them. So they don't necessarily need a heater in their tank. But a lot of other fish, most other fish do, even betta fish. Betta fish are treated really bad. I would never recommend putting a betta in a bowl with nothing, with no air in there. Like you can even get a little air stone. There's so many things that you can do, but betas are not meant to be kept in little tiny cups of water either. Uh, these betas don't really grow, but like these other fish, they do. So goldfish will continue to grow and grow and grow, and they will get to the point where they're uncomfortable in the tank that they are in. This happens with all fish. There's a place that we used to love to go to eat, and they had parrotfish, which I believe are saltwater. I can't remember if they're salt or brackish, but they're really pretty big fish with like almost like this weird bump on the top of their head. And they had way, 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 way too many in the tank that they had. Like those fish were so uncomfortable. I don't remember. I used to work with fish at Petco and PetSmart, but I don't really remember what the size is. But I know that there's an inch, inch of fish per gallon, I believe it is. You're not supposed to go over that. So if you have fish or looking into getting into fish, definitely do your research. It's not necessarily a good starter pet. I know it seems like a good starter pet because it seems simple, but at the same time, it's still going to require you to make an investment. It's still going to require you to put you know, money into a tank and to the things that you need in the tank, like a filter and a heater and all of that. So it's not necessarily something that you should just jump right into is my point. Make sure that when you have fish that you get fish that are 
appropriate in this the groups together most fish places are good about this they're not going to sell you like a neon and a cichlid together because they know that that cichlid will immediately kill that neon but you might not know that and so you should always do your research and make sure that the type of fish that you're looking for too is is what you're looking for because like with the cichlids I really didn't know the first time that I got them and they're actually really aggressive fish. And like I had one that um, he was like lepto something rather. I can't remember the, his complete name, but he was this long yellow and black fish. And we got him with a bunch of cichlids and he killed every single cichlid in that tank. It was like you turn the light off at night and you'd wake up in the morning and another one was gone and he was perfectly fine. So you knew it was him. Very, very aggressive. So you want to make sure too with with your fish that you're putting them in the right classes and not mixing wrong fish and like, you know, uh, goldfish need a different temperature of water. So all of this stuff. I'm not going to go on more about the fish, but it's really good to do your research and look into that before bringing any animals into your home, including fish. Something we hear a lot is you can't teach an old dog new tricks. This is wrong. This is so wrong. This is probably the number one thing that I would love to say is wrong. I am an animal communicator, right? So I talk to animals of all ages. And one thing that I have noticed is that puppies are the hardest to talk to. Why? Because they're like children. We don't look at it this way for whatever reason, that when you have a puppy or a kitten or any young animal, they are new. They are new to this world. They don't know what's going on. They don't automatically know how to do things. We expect that they know how to do things. Like you bring a puppy home and a lot of people are like, why is this puppy so hard to potty train? Why is it running all over, you know, destroying all of my stuff? Because it's a puppy and it has to be taught. They don't just come into this world knowing right from wrong. But it takes a while for their brains to actually understand the difference between right and wrong. So you have a puppy that even me as an animal communicator, I can tell, you know, please don't do that to a puppy. And they'll be like, oh, OK. And 30 seconds later, go and do it again. I know because my great Dane was one of the worst puppies in the entire world. Like I've never had a puppy as bad as him. And as an animal communicator, it was embarrassing that I couldn't get him to behave as a puppy. But it was because his brain was not developed enough he didn't understand enough now he understands now i can talk to him like like a teenager it seems like he's very very smart it just takes time so the you can't teach old dogs new tricks is wrong it's actually easier to teach old dogs new tricks because the older they get just like people the smarter they are the more they absorb the more they understand my black lab just within the last two years has taken to when he wants my attention coming up and and booping me on the leg with his nose. He never did that before, but he realized that that was a way for him to get attention. This isn't something he did when he was younger because it wasn't something that he was, you know, realized, oh, if I do this, I'll get her attention because puppies aren't thinking like that. They're not thinking about, you know, what they can logically do to get your attention they just want to do what it is that puppies want to do, which is put their mouths on everything. So so never discount an old dog. You really, really can teach an old dog way, way more than you can teach a puppy. So let's go ahead and take a break here before getting on into the next one. When we come back, I'm going to talk about not just dogs and cats and fish. We're going to talk about ferrets and reptiles and parrots birds, all kinds of different animals that you might hear a lot of different myths about, things that we can clarify that 
you know, not just will help maybe us to take better care of our pets, but also when bringing a pet into the home that we think about it. Because, you know, for me as a child, I remember like my, the man I was raised to believe with my father, John, he loved animals, loved them. And so he was always buying me animals but he would literally bring like a turtle to my mom's house and be like here's a turtle and not tell her how to take care of it so thankfully we have the internet nowadays but that's also what i'm here for i want to be able to help people to give their animals the best lives that are possible while also making your life as the pet owner happy and healthy as well so let's go ahead and take our break when we come back we will get into the other animals like i mentioned stay tuned friends Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit voiceamerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. Have you ever suffered grief from the loss of a loved one or pet? Do you ask yourself questions like where did they go and what are they doing? Do you have guilt for things left unsaid or feel the need for answers about the loss you never received? Join Samantha Jones, psychic medium and animal communicator, every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel, where her and her guest will discuss all things beyond the bridge. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Welcome back to Beyond the Bridge with Samantha Jones. Have a question for Samantha or her guests? Or would you like a reading? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now, back to the show with Samantha. Welcome back to Beyond the Bridge, friends. So glad that you are here today. I hope that you are enjoying the truth about cats and dogs and other animals, too. I love to talk about this. Very passionate about talking about animals, of course. Let's talk about some other animals besides cats and dogs for just a minute. One of my favorites are ferrets. When I first moved to Las Vegas, when I was 18 years old, I got my first ferret, I think within just a few months of being there. Where I live now and where I'm from is Southern California. And in California, this is one of the few states within the United States where ferrets are illegal. They do that because they're afraid. Well, one of the reasons they're afraid that the ferrets will get out 
and like learn how to popularize themselves and reproduce and become, um, you know, not domestic anymore, be wild and to basically take over and kill the wild species that are here. The thing is, that's never happened anywhere. Ferrets are not like that. These are domesticated animals. Ferrets like this are have never been wild. There are ferrets that are called black-footed ferrets that are wild. And they are in not in the rodent family. They are in the mustelid family, which is with skunks and otters and all of those types of animals. So ferrets are not wild animals. That was going to be my first point about them, is they're not wild animals and they are not aggressive or dangerous animals. Ferrets are different. I personally would not recommend a ferret as a pet for most people. The reason is they're like a two-year-old on crack, and I'm not joking. They get into absolutely everything. If you have a ferret, you have to, and you, you're going to want to let it out of the cage. It's not cool to have a ferret just stuck in a cage, right? So unless you have like a ferret-proof room that you keep them in, if you're going to let them roam around your house, you have to ferret-proof things. They get up into cabinets. Like if you ever see on underneath your kitchen cabinets, if you put your face under there and like look around, you might see that there's these holes that go in between the cabinets and they'll get in there. I've had them get up inside of the oven, um, in your clothes drawers. They will get in absolutely everywhere and they will get into just about everything. And they like, for example, if they eat something like I had one ferret that I don't even know where she got it from. It was looked like the stopper on a chair and she got a hold of this, swallowed it, and it filled up her entire stomach. And so we had to do surgery. And unfortunately, she didn't make it. But they will eat anything. Um, it, it, they're just very, very complicated animals. So definitely not one that I would suggest for a beginner pet. Or, you know, if you're looking for something calm, if you're looking for something that you can cuddle, that's not the animal for you as well. They are very friendly, very playful. Uh, They love to be together in groups, but having one by itself is also not good because they like to be with other ferrets and they'll get lonely. So um, there's a lot of myths out there about ferrets. I'll talk about more later, but it is definitely something that I love to talk about if you have any questions Like if this is an animal that you're considering getting, feel free to reach out to me. I have lots and lots of experience with them and I will definitely help you in any way that I can. One of the other animals that kind of gets a bad rap are rodents and that rodents are dirty animals. Well, like any animal, any animal, their cleanliness depends on a lot of things. While wild rodents are associated with, of course, unsanitary environments. It's important to understand that wild rodents and those kept as pets are completely different situations. Pet rodents, things such as hamsters, gerbils, guinea pigs, rats, uh, things like that can be kept very clean and healthy with proper care and hygiene and regular cleaning of their habitats. So just like any pet, the rodents will be clean if you maintain their living environment. They're not, they're not necessarily dirty. So it's just like with anything else. It's like you can't compare coyotes to domesticated dogs. You can't compare wild rats to domesticated rats or domest- any kind of domesticated rodent. They can be very affectionate. They can be very fun to have. Um, I've had rats. I've had gerbils. Uh, I've had hamsters. You know, these are probably pets that are good for younger children so that they can have something to watch. 
But again, like it's really important that you as a parent stay involved in this to keep the the animals clean because that really is the most important part. But like you're not going to get go to a, a a pet store and buy a rat that has like the type of disease that in the rats that are like in New York, for example, like that's not how it works. Those are two different types of things. So um, when you see the rodents in the stores and stuff, don't necessarily look at them as being dirty because they're not. They can actually make really, really good pets. I also am a huge bird lover. I have owned birds in the past. I've had lorikeets and I had um, an eclectus, a male eclectus for a while. And they are amazing animals. But one of the things that I hear people say is that they are low maintenance pets, which they are absolutely not low maintenance pets. Parrots are intelligent and highly sociable creatures and they require mental stimulation, social interaction, and enrichment in their activities. So parrots, any kind of bird in the wild, there's a few things that they do all day, but one of those things is forage. So they're looking for food. When you take a bird and you put it in captivity, they don't have to do that anymore. You provide them with a bowl or, you know, you might give them a plate of fruit and vegetables or whatever, but they don't have to go find it for themselves. You're providing it for them. So what are they supposed to do the rest of the day if they don't have the foraging? They need other things to do to keep them busy. One of the main reasons that birds pluck their feathers is because of boredom, because they don't have anything to do. So birds are not low maintenance. They need a wide variety of mental stimulus like toys. Um, You can make foraging toys to help them that so that all their food doesn't come from a bowl. But on top of all of this stuff, Finding veterinary care for some of these animals that I'm talking about, not just the birds, but ferrets, reptiles, these all can be really difficult to find a vet for. Most vets are, they only see dogs and cats and some will see like maybe rabbits or whatever, but you need a particular exotic vet for birds. A regular vet will not be able to treat your bird properly. And a lot of places don't have that. So it's very important that if you get a bird, that you make sure that there is some kind of vet within your area, that if there was an emergency or your bird got sick, that you could take them to. This is this goes for for any of these exotic animals, because this is so common. I have this um, group that I follow on Facebook, and it's an exotic animal page where people ask for advice on with their animals that might be um, their exotic animals that might be sick. And I hear so often or see so often on this that they don't have veterinarians within their area. These people that have the exotic animals, they don't have a veterinarian that's less than three or four hours away. So that's something else to take into consideration with these animals that besides dogs and cats is that if they do need to go to the vet, that is going to be an issue there. There's also with birds, one of the issues is that they um, have very, very sensitive respiratory systems. So things like candles and air fresheners, even Teflon pans can kill a bird. My my half-brother, his grandparents had a bird and she died because of, of something that they were cooking that uh, it burned in the kitchen and it was on Teflon and the bird died from it. It's that easy. It happens that fast. But these aren't things that they tell you when you walk into a pet store to buy a bird. These are things that you need to learn for yourself. And most people don't. They just think, oh, this is a beautiful creature and I'd love to have it. It's intelligent. It talks. But there's so, so, so much more that goes with having a 
bird and parrots especially. So definitely that's not a low maintenance animal for sure. We hear a lot too about people that just release their animals into the wild when they're not interested in keeping them as pets anymore. This makes me so sad. And I see it at times because I, I work with some of the rescues um, that they will find dogs just abandoned. It makes me really, really sad. But there's no animal that you buy in a pet store or from a breeder or anything that should ever be released into the wild. Not a fish, not a turtle, not a anything. Because they're not, they're not wild so they don't know how to provide for themselves so like let's say that you have a turtle because i faced this myself i went to a garage sale and this lady was selling red-eared slider turtles they were literally smaller than the palm of my hand really really small she wasn't selling them with anything at all no tank no anything and these animals they require stuff they require a pond or a nice tank or whatever so i took two home and we had them for, I don't know, maybe a year or so. And they just kept getting bigger and bigger in their tank. And the tank was so impossible to keep clean. And it was just becoming a nightmare. And then one of them started getting sick. And I was like, I really can't do this anymore. I need to find a new home for them. Someplace where they will be happy. Someplace with a pond. And I contacted multiple rescues. And most of them turned me away. But the ones that didn't and what I got the most from people was take them and dump them in the, at the duck park or another local pond, like a golf course or something. And if you go to a golf course, you will see that this happens a lot of times, that there are usually a lot of red-eared sliders that have been dumped there, a lot of fish. The thing is, is your particular pet hasn't been trained or taught or anything how to live in the wild by itself. So it doesn't know how to capture its own food. It doesn't know how to protect itself from predators. There are some instincts that kick in there, but they're still wild animals. We, we shouldn't be releasing anything, even rats, even mice into, you know, just letting them go. We just shouldn't do it. So if you ever hear about somebody that's like going to do that, or it's a thought that you have yourself Please try and talk the person out of it. Contact a local rescue. Even the shelters in your area might take some exotics or be able to point you in the direction of, you know, reptiles. Or we're talking about, you know, fish and turtles and stuff like that. They might be able to help you. Another thing that I hear a lot is that things like fish, uh, they don't experience pain. My ex-husband was a fisherman and it bothered me. And he used to go, ah, it's no big deal. They don't even feel it. You know, you, when you hook them in the mouth, they don't even feel it. No, they feel it. They do. They they have nerve endings. They feel it. Um, all animals have nerve endings. It's just if the brain can process things. And an animal like a fish doesn't obviously have the same processing as a human or whatever. So it is different. But all creatures feel pain. All of them. So we need to take that into consideration when we're doing things. I mean, not going to stop people from fishing. And, and, you know, it is what it is. But it seems so barbaric, the catch and release fishermen. Doesn't that just seem, it's like, if you're going to catch it, just eat it. Why are you release it with a hole in its mouth so that it can go down to his friends? Friends like, what happened? What happened to you? Oh, some somebody up there. <laughs> can you imagine the stories the fish tell to each other? Anyways, uh, but yeah, they do feel pain. All animals do. Let's talk about cats again for a minute, because one of the things that we don't see much anymore, 
but that I used to work in veterinary hospitals and saw this a lot is the declawing of cats. And some people think that this is just harmless. It's not a big deal, but I will tell you that I've seen it myself and it is absolutely barbaric and most places will not do it anymore. Um, I don't know a single vet in our area or anywhere that I've talked to that will do it anymore, but I'm sure that there are ones that will don't do it, please. It is not worth it. It's, I'm not going to get into it, but I'll tell you that just witnessing it uh, for the short time that I worked in veterinary hospitals was very traumatizing. It's not just cutting the nails there. You're actually removing toes and the joints. Um, You're removing the joints at their toes. So it's very, very uncomfortable. It can cause a lot of problems, long-term physical health problems, behavioral issues, long-term pain. So just please don't do it, even if it is still allowed in your area. Something else that we hear about cats is that they're nocturnal. We also hear this about ferrets, and that's not necessarily the truth. These animals are most active at dusk and dawn. However, they don't like sleep, you know, through the day and then are awake all night. They're up and down. Ferrets actually sleep a lot. They sleep like 20 hours of the day, sometimes even more. So you can't necessarily call a ferret nocturnal if they sleep that much because they sleep all the time. When I uh, worked at Petco, I was about 19 years old and I had just started a ferret club and was getting involved with ferret rescue. I got really big into this. Okay. So I wanted to work at the pet stores that had ferrets so that I could help people. I could make sure that they got better homes. And one of the things that I noticed right away was that Petco had these tags on the cages that talked about facts about the animals. And on there, it said that ferrets were nocturnal. And I was like, they're not even telling the truth. They don't even know, you know, they're just spreading stuff. And it's like, if you're going to talk about these things, know what you're talking about, especially in the store. So people take these animals home and they think they're nocturnal and they're really not. They sleep a lot. Ferrets sleep a lot. Um, Cats do tend to be less active during the day, but they are definitely not strictly nocturnal like bats or owls. Those are our nocturnal animals. One of the animals that I really feel gets the worst rap and it's unfair are snakes. Now, I've never owned a snake and I don't really have the desire to. Um, I was kind of, I guess, through my life felt like, yeah, they were scary and creepy and, and you know, aggressive. Um, aggressive was one of the things that I thought of the most. Like I've been was a pet sitter for 20 years. And like I said, I've worked in Petco and PetSmart, but never, ever worked with the snakes. Never. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't feed live food. It wasn't going to happen. So I've never really had an interaction so much with snakes uh, Yeah, as a pet sitter as anything. I have one snake that I watched as a pet sitter and I didn't have to feed it because snakes can go a long time without food. But they are very misunderstood. And I've learned that now with my animal abilities and talking to snakes that they are very, very misunderstood. They're not aggressive or unfriendly. All animals can be aggressive or unfriendly if they are treated inhumanely. But if they're treated properly and they're handled properly, all animals really can be friendly. And snakes are definitely one of those. When I talk to snakes, when I connect to them with my abilities, they're really cool. They're really laid back. They don't have that aggression that's sitting there. They're not like, you know, you see, I saw actually a video with a rattlesnake that was being given water in the desert and it was really cool. But the rattlesnake had this like evil look on its face, like I'm going to bite you. But most of the 
the snakes that I've come in contact with and talked to, they don't have that. They're very, very sweet and and gentle creatures. But anything can be aggressive if it's treated with aggression. So with snakes, we just have to learn how to respect them, how to properly socialize them, the proper handling techniques and you know, feeding techniques, because that's another thing. People get bit a lot of times by uh, by snakes when they're like feeding them, putting things in the tank and they don't put the stuff down fast enough and the snake comes up and bites their hand. But that's not an aggressive snake. He's just going for his food. So it really is about how they're treated. Uh, snakes are not going to, like pet snakes are not going to really hurt you for the most part. Um, unless it's like a big giant snake, it's not going to constrict you. They don't have that type of strength to bring down a person that's that large if it's a small snake. So you really don't need to worry about those things. They really, really are gentle creatures. They're very interesting. I actually the other day saw an x-ray of a snake and that was really cool to see what the inside looked like and and the, uh, the way that everything works. But Personality-wise, they are really cool and interesting animals, and I wish that more people knew that because I think that they would have um, a better rap if people knew just how friendly snakes are. All right, so let's go ahead and take our last break. When we come back, we will talk more about reptiles and birds, and I have more, more of everything, more dogs, cats, everything for you. So let's take our break, friends. Stay tuned. We will be right back after these brief messages. Birdie told me Voice America is on Twitter. Follow us at Voice America TRN. Where can you listen to some of the world's top life coaches ready to dish out success tips and entrepreneurial guidance? The Voice America Empowerment Channel will do just that. Whether it's personal growth, building a better business, or inspirational life stories, make it a daily habit to tune into our programs. From weight loss and personal branding to law of attraction and increased happiness, you'll find it every day at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Life can be confusing at times. There can be uncertainty, disappointment, and an inability to clearly see where you're headed. But it doesn't have to be this way at all if you understand how to take the next step in your life. Tune in to Living the Miracle with your hosts, Michael and Raphael Tamora. We'll help you to find the deeper meaning that awaits you in your life, have certainty in yourself, and learn to be clairvoyant. Listen Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Welcome back to Beyond the Bridge with Samantha Jones. 
Have a question for Samantha or her guests? Or would you like a reading? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now, back to the show with Samantha. Welcome back to Beyond the Bridge, everyone. Thank you so much for being here today. I hope that you are enjoying the truth about cats and dogs and other animals, too. One of the things that we hear about is cats having nine lives, right? Obviously, they don't have nine lives. But what is this about? Why do people say that cats have nine lives? So this is obviously something that probably comes from from folklore or or whatever, Um, But cats are known for their agility and their quick reflexes and their ability to survive accidents that actually might cause other animals harm. So they're really, really resilient, which is why there is that belief of, you know, animals have or these cats have nine lives. Um, But that's not necessarily the case. Obviously, cats are they're susceptible to everything, of course. Um, But what about always landing on their feet? Because I think this is something that makes people think that they have these so-called nine lives. Cats are known, like I said, for their incredible abilities and reflexes and their ability to land on their feet when they fall. However, this skill is not something that always kicks in. So it doesn't always happen. It's a misconception to believe that cats always land on their feet without any harm. Um, A high fall can still cause injuries. It can still be fatal. So it's not like, you know, a lot of people I know, they they will be like third, fourth story in an apartment and they'll have let their cat roam around outside on their balcony. It's like, it's okay because if they fall, they'll land on their feet. Well, that's not necessarily true. So we definitely have to protect them just like we would anything else. Uh, The probability of them landing on their feet is, yes, higher than them not. There are videos, actually, this is a cool thing, like maybe to Google or YouTube to look up how this works. You can see it in squirrels as well, the way that they do this. It's the way that they look at what it is that they're jumping down towards, the way that they keep their eye contact on that. So it's really interesting to watch. So I would definitely Google that if you're interested in that. What about starter pets? Because we talked a little bit about that, about fish being starter pets. But I hear a lot of times from people, you know, that rodents are or or reptiles or whatever. Are reptiles a good starter pet? I absolutely do not believe that they are. And here's why. They are very, very complex creatures and their habitats are very, very specific. So what a chameleon needs is not what a leopard gecko needs. And what those two need is not necessarily what a snake needs. So in order to find the best or give the the reptile the best life possible, you need to do your research on all of this, on what kind of bedding they need, what kind of anything, you know, the humidity, the lighting, the size of the enclosure, the temperature, these all vary per each individual reptile. Bearded dragons are really good pets but I wouldn't necessarily say that they're a good first pet uh, because they definitely need certain things. They need an environment where a temperature is at specific level. These animals also need live food like crickets or, you know, with, um, I mean, when it comes to like snakes and all that, it doesn't necessarily need to be live food, but it really does help with their overall health. 
So like some people will feed frozen to snakes or whatever, you know, thom. And I think that's okay. You know, I don't know much about snakes and stuff like that. But when it comes to these other reptiles like geckos and bearded dragons and all that, they need a variety of different foods. Some of them even like greens and fruits and vegetables. So it's important to give them all of those things. There's too often where I've seen people go into pet stores and buy a reptile and they're not given any proper instructions and those animals suffer. And it's really, really sad for that. It's like, I don't know if people just don't look at them as having rights because they're animals that they just think it's okay to put them in a tank or a cage or whatever and ignore them, but it's not. I, like I said, I used to be a pet sitter and there was this one pet sit that I did where they hired me to take care of their cats. And then at the end of the new client consult, they said, oh, our son used to live here. He doesn't anymore, but he left his leopard gecko. And could, would you mind just feeding him? There's a, a couple of crickets on the side. They had like a bowl of crickets, things on the side, feed him a couple crickets a couple times while they were gone, right? When I saw the conditions that this leopard gecko was living in, I was appalled. The entire tank was full of poop. It was just full. Like it had never, ever, ever been cleaned. It smelled so bad. He had no heating. He had no, like these are nocturnal creatures, but they still need the light for the heat. And, you know, they need a normal pattern. It's not just, shouldn't just be dark all the time. I was absolutely appalled by the way that they were taking care of this leopard gecko. And I, I tried my best to educate them. I helped them. Um, I brought a little shelter for him because they didn't have any shelter for him. He was literally just sitting out in the middle of nowhere and they like a place to hide. So I brought him a shelter to go in and um, I'm really hoping that they're taking better care of him. But literally nobody paid any attention to him except throwing him a couple of crickets and filling up a little water dish every so often. And that's the way that these animals suffer. They get sick that way and we don't notice it. So it's very important with any animal that you bring into your home that you have the proper setup for them and you know the proper care. And, you know, it's not going to be perfect, of course, but these animals deserve our respect. And if we're going to bring them into our home, we should treat them with that respect and give them a good life the way that they deserve to have a good life. I had mentioned that birds are not good starter pets either. Um, so yeah, definitely. I mean, there's, you know, like cockatiels and budgies, they're better than like a parrot, but still you're going to face the same things with all of the toxins in your home and everything. So, um, you know, I think that starter pets is almost an oxymoron. Of course, we have to start somewhere, right? But we still need to be respectful and we still need to learn about them and not look at them as like, oh, this is my first pet, so I can just neglect it, <laughs> you know, because I'm learning. Uh, we need to learn about the animals before we bring them into our homes. Absolutely. Talking about birds a little bit more. Uh, a lot of times I will see birds that are just fed seeds and people think that this is enough. It's not enough. Birds need a wide variety of foods. In the wild, like I mentioned before, they would forage all day. They would find a wide variety of things. Most parrots come from places like South America, Australia, those places where fruit and vegetables and everything that they need is in abundance. They don't 
eat seed. I mean, it, you know, if there's if there's seed there in, the, in wherever they are, sure. But that is not what they're looking for in the wild. They're looking for the nutrients. And that isn't necessarily found in these little seeds, especially sunflower seeds are just empty calories for birds. So it's really important that if you have a bird that you feed it the proper nutrients, things like fruits and vegetables, you can add pellets as well grains. There are so many different things that you can add, pastas, things that you cook for yourself that you can give to your birds. Of course, there's things they sh- that they shouldn't have, um, like avocados and you know those typical things, but they should be kept on more than just a seed diet. So if you have a bird and that's all you're feeding them right now, definitely do some research on feeding them better. I hear from a lot of people, well, my bird doesn't like fruits and vegetables. Well, one thing that's important is like if if let's say, for example, you give your bird corn, okay, which isn't one of the most nutrient things, but it's okay. Let's say you're giving them corn, right? And you put it in their cage and they don't like it. They just look at it, right? Okay, that's okay. But don't give up. Try again. Because just because they didn't take it the first time doesn't mean that they won't again. It's something new. And so they might just be looking at it as like, what's that? I don't want to try that. Just like a child, when they have a new food that's put in front of them, they might not necessarily want to eat that food because they don't know what it is. But don't give up. If you're cooking something, if you're cooking, you know, um, vegetables or you are slicing fruit for yourself, give some to your bird to try. On a, on a regular basis. And then eventually I bet you you'll find what they like because a lot of birds do love things like pasta and rice. Um, you know, we should stay away from the things like sugary cereals, but I used to give mine the Cheerios, not honey nut, but the regular Cheerios, things like that, different things um, that they should eat, but they should never just be eating a seed diet. It's not the nutrients that they need. So let's see a little bit more about ferrets because I love to talk about them. Um, One of the myths that I've heard is that ferrets are good pets for children. And I necessarily I don't believe that this is true, especially with young children, because ferrets are very, very fragile. And I've I've actually had a couple of people, one person recently that came to me and she's like, my ferret died. I don't know how. And um her three-year-old daughter, what ended up happening was her three-year-old daughter had stepped on the ferret and broke its spine. It happens that fast. It can, again, the ferrets are really high maintenance. Like if you have a recliner, you shouldn't put your recliner up when the ferrets are out because they could be under the chair. It happens that fast. So with young children, this is probably not the best pet for them. Uh, If you're looking for something more for young children, maybe hamster or a guinea pig, especially if they want to to handle something, a guinea pig would be better than a ferret because they are so, so delicate. Ferrets also, like when I had them, because at one point I had six of them and people would always go, oh, your house must stink. Um, Well, at certain points, I'm sure, but they don't necessarily have a really bad smell to them like a skunk. If you buy a ferret in a pet store, they will come to you descented and desexed, so they have been fixed and they do not have scent glands. And so you're not going to get the spray that you would if they had those scent glands. What you are going to get is a musky type of odor. So they do have their own smell to them, but you can give them baths and keep their bedding clean. It's just like anything else. Dogs have their own smell. Everything does Ferrets are a little bit more, like I said, on the musky smell. So you might notice when you walk into a home with somebody that has a ferret, you might smell that musky smell depending on how clean they keep things and and how many they have and that kind of thing. But they are not necessarily like stinky, like a skunk. 
per se. So let's see, we have just a few minutes left. Let's see what a few more of these that I thought were important. One of them, dogs wag their tails only when they are happy. That's not true. Um, Wagging tails do, for the most part, mean that they are happy or some form of happiness, but they can also signal anxiety, nervousness, or even aggression. So it's really important with your own dog that you recognize the different wags like your dog has a whole bunch of different things that they do i'm sure their wags different at certain times their facial expression the way they hold their ears the way they move their ears and their nose all of these things can signal to you how your pet is feeling in a lot of different situations so when you learn those things about your pet you can learn when that wag is more about happiness or it's more about nervousness. Of course, when you're coming upon a dog that you don't know, you might not know that. So of course you should always ask the owner, is it okay if I pet your dog? Because you just never know. Let's see. Uh, Real quick, cats and milk, not good for them. That's a myth. Don't, Don't feed it to them. It can cause lactose intolerance. A lot of people do. They think cats love milk. Well, they do, sure. A lot of people love milk. A lot of animals love milk, but it it is not good for them. So that is definitely one to stay away from. In these last couple of minutes, let's talk real quick about keeping pets in small cages. It's never okay to keep a a pet in a small cage, whether it's a bird, a snake, anything it should not it should have proper sizing i see it so much with people that are like oh the bird doesn't move around a lot he's in a small cage no he needs that space because in the wild they would have unlimited space so with any animal that you have please make sure that if they are a caged animal or even a dog with a crate that they have plenty of room that they're not confined in that cage all the time all animals really should have time out well i guess i shouldn't say all because you're not going to take a fish out of a tank but as far as a bird goes or a ferret or reptile these animals should be allowed to have a certain level of freedom even a hamster putting it in a ball and letting it run around um, they should have that level of freedom animals are beautiful beautiful creatures that deserve our respect. And just like they love us unconditionally, we should do the same for them. We should learn about their needs, learn about these myths so that we can take better care of them and make the animal world a happier place with less animal abuse, because that is definitely one of my main goals in this world is to make sure that as many animals are taken care of the best way that they possibly can be and have the best lives possible. So there you go, my friends. That is the truth about cats and dogs and other pets too. I hope that you enjoyed it. I hope that you learned some things from it and that you can take those and maybe even help other people in your life that you notice these issues with that you can help them to take better care of their pets. Until next week, if you would like to find me, you can find me at samanthajonespsychicmedium.com. You can find my blog, the podcast I have with my husband, Spiritual Philosophy Chatter with the Joneses. It's all there. And I will meet you back here next week. Same time, same place, friends. I am looking forward to it. I hope you have a beautiful week. Peace and love. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Beyond the Bridge. We hope you will join Samantha and next week's guest for more eye-opening ways to connect to the universe. Until next week, peace and love.